0: Welcome to the Close Knit Podcast, a podcast that showcases fiber artists from around the world. You're listening to episode 20, and this week I spoke to Sophie Props of Urban Roots Handmade. Sophie is a zero-waste advocate living in Louisiana, making and selling minimally packaged linen and hemp linen products for the home and the body. She discovered hemp when she was looking for environmentally friendly options to make herself dresses after seeing Sonia Phillips' 100 acts of sewing patterns and getting hooked. Before starting her shop, Sophie worked for a number of environmental organizations that fueled her desire to run a business in a thoughtful way. She then started learning about zero waste and the zero waste movement from the likes of Bea Johnson from Zero Waste Home, and she began looking for ways to incorporate minimalism into her life. After becoming a mother, Sophie began questioning the legacy she would leave for her children, and this led her to starting Urban Roots Handmade. We talk about the realities of running a business as a mother, this means a lot of time spent in the wee hours of the morning sewing, and how she plans to handle business growth without compromising her ethics. We also get into some of the nitty-gritty of how she learned to price her work and how she handles the finances of her business. The show notes for this episode are available on my website, closenit.com.au slash podcast. Listen on for our whole chat. Thanks for tuning in. I'd like to take a moment to thank this week's episode sponsor. Hannah Lisa Hanalisa Hannah Lisa is a creative maker and business coach who works with other small business owners to help them achieve their goals. In addition to coaching, she runs her very own video podcast where she talks about her experience making and running a creative business. You can find that on YouTube at Hana on the Road, all one word, no second H in the name Hana. And in her spare time, Hana makes gorgeous project bags for the modern knitter. Frustrated with the project bags on offer, she set about designing her own to meet her minimalist aesthetic and her needs as a knitter, like yarn not getting tangled up. She does a shop update once or twice a month, and you can find out about those via her Instagram or her podcast. As a special treat for Close Knit podcast listeners, Hana is offering a discount on her project bags. Enter the code Knit, all one word, so Knit, C-L-O-S-E-K-N-I-T, at checkout to get ten percent off her project bags. You can find Hanna at Hanna on the Road on Instagram and at her on her website hanalesaheifercamp.com. Thanks again to Hanna Lisa for this generous offer and for sponsoring the Close Knit podcast. Hey, it's Ani of Close Knit, and I'm here with Sophie Props of Urban Roots Handmade. Hey, Sophie.
1: Hi, Ani. It's so nice to be here.
0: Yeah, you too. I'm glad we're finally getting to do some face-to-face time. <laughs> Yeah, it takes quite the coordinating to go from Australia to Louisiana, for sure. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's one of those things, and I'm every time this happens, I'm like, I'll ask somebody where they are, and I'll talk about where I am, because I feel like I just need to reestablish that, like, we are managing to do this somehow, even though we are across the world from each other. Yeah, isn't that wonderful, though? I mean, yeah. And I'm glad people have, like, flexible schedules about, about talking because it's like you know it's about 10 in the morning for me and like 8 p.m for you just the most random times ever that you have to do these things yeah
1: I'm up all night so you know it's okay I like this
0: <laughs> oh awesome cool I think I'm just gonna jump straight in if that's cool um Sophie what's your fiber of choice and what sort of craft medium do you gravitate towards the most um. Well, uh, if you take a look at my shop, you'll see that
1: I mostly deal in linen. Um, I I love linen because it's soft and luxurious, but also it's good for your skin. And I love wearing it and sleeping in it and sewing it. But like, I'm really into hemp, and I know that that sounds all <laughs> ooh <laughs> hemp. <laughs> She's a hemp girl. But it really doesn't have to have that negative connotation. It's really going in some new ways, and a lot of designers are working in hemp now so it's great you know Mm -hmm. like hemp requires the least amount of water to grow the least amount of pesticides it's good for farmers it's good for the community that it grows in i think that we should all be supporting hemp. i mean it's it's kind of a new new thing now but it is a lot of how clothes used to be back you know back whenever the traditional ways were still happening so Yeah, hemp. Um, And Mm. then I do like hemp yarns. I love this. um, It's a very fine hemp organic hemp yarn from Romania and it's supplied by a great company that packages plastic free and uses like post-consumer waste stickers and and biodegradable bioplastic packaging and like even their tape is biodegradable. (laughs) It's like the pinnacle of shipping from them and they're awesome. So um yeah, and I sometimes I do cotton, but I live in this subtropical environment and seriously, linen can take us throughout the different seasons. So I don't mess with wool. But um anything natural and like I used to wear polyester until I saw this post on um Instagram from um uh, this uh, Ego Sumterra, and and it was like a textile composting picture, and the worms were trying to, like... So she put polyester and cotton blend into the worm composter, and the worms would eat around the polyester because they didn't even want to compost mm-hmm. it. And ever since then, I like trying to sneak out all the running gear. And, like, the, like I don't know, it's shame on me. Like, I don't even run, but, like, just sneak it out and just <laughs> donate it and stuff. But... um I mean, you can only get around so much, but yeah, linen and hemp usually. So that's my.
0: Thing. Yeah. Okay. And your the ways that you're working with those are sewing and knitting. Is that right?
1: Yeah. So I I I sew and sometimes I knit, but like, ooh,
0: I have a lot of props
1: to give to you knitting girls because I can barely keep up. <laughs> so so yeah, I'm learning. Um, but it's 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 mostly sewing.
0: Yeah. How did you, can you kind of walk me through how you discovered linen? Like, is it has it just been a fiber you've always worn? Or do you remember when you started wearing it and when, how you sort of um, made the shift to producing with it for your shop?
1: Oh, yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I didn't start wearing linen until a year ago or so when I was introduced to who I would pretty much call my best friend. Um, I was working at a soil and water conservation district, and I was working with this company called Restore the Earth Foundation, and they go around and they plant trees, like thousands and thousands of trees, so I was partnering with them. And um, my friend Nancy, who I just met, she had hundreds of acres of land, and so I worked with her to develop this plan for trees on her property. Well, we became good friends, and she is like a, super environmentally friendly she does it subconsciously it's just how she's been all of her life and she's older than me but she kind of taught me different things you know just ways to treat the earth better and to treat yourself better so I started sewing um with linen after (laughs) I joined Instagram and saw some picture of uh Sonia Phillip who I adore, like, yeah. simply adore. So I was, like, no longer intimidated about sewing my own clothes, and I was getting after it, and so I sewed up all the linen possible, and I've been in love with it ever since, so.
0: Oh, I love that. <laughs> I love that. I love – I have just started sewing a dress number two by Sonia Phillip, and I just really appreciate how it's all so clear, and it's, like, she's not a beginner sewer, but she – But she was at one point, which is awesome. Yeah. 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 And she understands how to kind of remember what it was like to be a beginner sewer and explain it in those terms, you know?
1: Yeah. So you're working on one of her dresses right now. She does a great job of, well, of taking the mystery out of it. You know, like I don't want to wear ruffles and I don't want to wear something that has a bunch of uh, iron on facings and, and, you know, like, yeah. I love her simple way of teaching. So yeah, it was, it was huge for me. I started, I think I have sewn like 12 of those dresses now and tops and pants. And I love them all. Like seriously, she's awesome.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's so good. I love that. Um, Can you kind of walk me back further with um, how you sort of started the shop? Like, um, where did that idea come from and how did you become influenced to make it what it is today? Oh yeah.
1: Um, I guess it all sort of happened by accident, but, but if, if you know me, it probably wasn't an accident, you know, like, um, in college I worked for AmeriCorps. Do y'all have an Australian version of AmeriCorps? Do you know what that is? Not
0: that I'm aware of, but you should explain it. For listeners, (laughs) Um,
1: it's it's a volunteer based organization that you work in college, but you can work after college if you want, where you donate your hours and I did a full term, which was I don't know if this is right, but 500 hours. So I worked in three different sectors, education, um, home building, and we did handicap ramps for um, homes. So it was then that I started a project like an environmental project um, for one of our local state parks, and I just really found my like my area i just I just had such a passion for the environment um after I graduated college, I worked for a little bit as an earth science teacher and then I worked for the conservation district and with farmers and planting trees and getting some grants and just teaching kids in the school system about wetlands or like better conservation techniques Yeah. um and then i had kids and like oh <laughs> like when you have kids you so question everything that you thought was you know true and then you get emotionally tied to their legacy like what mm. is going to happen when my kids grow up what kind of world are they going to be living in and i had never really thought about it um and I started sewing for them, like cloth diapers. Like I sew their cloth diapers, and and I thought about selling them. My husband is a great maker. He's always in the shop. He's he's working on something and on his car or um, building something, wood, metal. He's awesome, and he's always like, "Sophie, you should start a shop." And and I was like, "Oh, but I am not. I'm not. A, I'm not. I can't do that. Like that's not me." Well. I, um, I got into like zero-waste reading, and so I started reading about Bea Johnson and her zero-waste life, and so we started implementing a lot of those techniques in our own house, and so we would refuse plastic packaging, and we started buying food without plastic, and um, just started taking some steps towards minimalism but I've always been into making things. Like it's, it's my grandmother, she's sewing, painting. She's creating something all the time. My mm-hmm. aunts, I have a lot of aunts, they're always into crafts and design. And so I was having a hard time reconciling, making new stuff when zero waste says that you should just use what's already out there. And buy second hand and, you know, and I've always done that. But like in college, you buy second hand because you're poor. Yeah. (laughs) So, so yeah. And, and, you know, that's kind of how it started. It was like, I need to make something, but I need to do it better than the typical way. Mm -hmm. I need to do it plastic free. Yeah. So I kind of started that way. Like I wanted certain things for myself, so I made them. And then I just started this shop because because I had already set the framework for asking businesses to ship plastic-free. And um, I changed the way I make things to be um, less wasteful. So that's how it all started. And then it just has taken off. Um, I just do basics. I do home basics and some handmade clothes. Mm-hmm. Um And it's been really eye-opening. Owning a little business that's doing well is uh, a lot of my time, but it's been so fun, you know? It's been really cool.
0: Yeah. Um, Can you kind of walk me through how you figured out how to source for your business? Like, how did you come across these linen producers? How did you find these guys in Romania who were like the pinnacle uh, of zero waste? So, uh,
1: you know, in Bea Johnson's book, she's always talking about just being bold, asking. You, like, like we talked about earlier, you're never going to get anything that you don't ask for. So, so my linen supplier, mm-hmm. I asked them to package plastic-free, and they did. My hemp supplier, I asked them to package mm-hmm. plastic-free, and they didn't. And they said, we can't. And they said, you know, but but we do use recycled boxes, they said. And I was thinking, well, that's great, but can you also package without all the plastic in your mm. in your boxes? And they said, no, but we appreciate you doing your part for the environment. Which was so disheartening for me because if the word environment is in your name as a supplier of fabric, you should be willing to be flexible. And it turns out that, you know, I pushed and pushed and they did. And so I started sourcing hemp plastic-free and um, thread plastic-free. I found this great company, um, Honey Be Good. I think it's in California. They not only have wooden Mm -hmm. spool organic cotton thread, but they also package so perfectly in just paper, simple paper. And so I started doing that and my label supplier was flexible and she's a small business on Etsy and they've been great about everything. Um, and yeah, it's, once you set the framework, it's, it's not so bad.
0: Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Cool. That's really cool. It's nice to see how that, um, how that trajectory worked for you as well. I feel like as you were kind of talking about how you went from just volunteering in AmeriCorps to then doing some classroom stuff and outdoor stuff and then getting into this. From that, I feel like that's quite a... It's just sort of reassuring. It's like nice to know, and I imagine other listeners might feel this way, it's nice to see that like things can morph and change and you can start in one sector of the environment and end up doing something that's environmentally conscious but in a really different way that incorporates something that you're passionate about. Oh, I definitely... I
1: mean, people are always talking about how people don't change but but that's the only thing that exists I mean everything is changing so yeah I mean to jump from one sector to another I mean you can do anything you want and and sewing was not um like a shock to me I my grandmother taught me to sew when I was I would say 10 but by taught me to sew I really mean like she showed me what a sewing machine is and she mainly sewed my first dress for me and (laughs) what it did was make me less intimidated of this machine that, you know, people, it is a pretty scary machine once you get looking at it. Um, and then I did my first quilt when I was in high school and I still have that thing and I hand quilted the whole thing. I don't know why I had like this fire in me. I had to sew quilts and, um, I really wanted to get rid of it after that, but my mom has it as a keepsake. So it wasn't anything new. I just, I've dabbled in all sorts of crafts and painting and just, yeah, I mean, just everything. But I really feel, like, comfortable here in this little Mm. section.
0: Yeah. Can you tell me about what your favorite part about the fiber arts sort of world community is? Well... (laughs)
1: I didn't even know that a fiber arts community existed until maybe like last year or a couple of months ago. You know, yes. Instagram has been so wonderful in showing me these things that I I would never have known existed. And I, that's wonderful. But maybe I have a community here that's into sewing. I'm, I, I don't even know, but I know that Instagram's mm-hmm. there. My favorite thing has got to be the handmade wardrobe movement. I mean, it's awesome to see small time makers with their own creations and new things and just you know just very fluid fashion and i love that shift towards ethical fashion i hate the word fashion but honestly Mm. it's so refreshing and it's so hard to find out about businesses and where your clothes are your fabric where is it all coming from it's it's not transparent and there's so many you know missteps you can make when trying to do things right but i think that it's awesome people are, you know, thinking about it now. It's awesome. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: Is there something that you're working on for Urban Roots or for yourself that you're particularly excited about right now? I am trying to launch into
1: a dress line for fall. Okay. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I would love to start doing that, except that I started wholesaling and business really picked up. And since I work at night, like many small business owners do who have kids or jobs. <laughs> uh it's <laughs> it's hard to get caught up with everything in time to, you know, branch out. But yeah, I have a couple ideas I'm excited about. Um mostly linen, very simple. Um and maybe some hemp if I can find the right fabric. But you know, but yeah, that's probably the best thing that I'm working on right now. Um I'm excited about it.
0: Yeah, cool. Um, When you were sourcing those fabrics, uh, did you look domestically? Like, was there any domestic production of that stuff?
1: Yeah. So I didn't, I didn't look domestic. um, But that is one of the next steps that I'm looking at. You know, I want to streamline everything that I'm doing to be more um, local, which is so Mm -hmm. hard because, because where I'm at now, there's just, there's just nothing. I mean, Definitely, I don't think linen, Um, but where I live, well, that's all another story, but um, cotton's big here, I think. This was mainly cotton plantations and, and cotton farming, you know, 50 years ago. In fact, my mom used to pick cotton with her 10 brothers and sisters every summer, and she used to tell me these stories. It was, I mean... It's crazy. When she was going to school, women and girls, they they dressed in dresses and bobby socks and and shoes. And she can still tell me the story of when that first guy came to school in jeans, because jeans were the working class uniform and it was not suitable for school. Mm. And it's so funny how denim has made a shift, you know, but I think that's really off topic. (laughs) I forgot the situation. yeah, so yeah, that's the next step and just trying to make everything the best possible way that I could do it would be to look locally. So we're looking right now my linen mm. sourced out of Europe, which it seems like all of the good linen is. Um Yeah, that'd be awesome.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've been thinking a lot about linen because that's there's a few produced like producers of bedding and things like that in Australia who have worked really hard to try to find a way to produce it but um yeah produ- local production is pretty <laughs> pretty sparse <laughs> yeah yeah i once tried to source some extra
1: wide linen fabric and i believe it was out of australia and the prices were so cost prohibitive i was just mm. i was just blown away you know just so that that avenue closed but <laughs> yeah i mean there's got to be some more out there
0: yeah definitely um so you were saying that your, your grandmother sort of, did she, was she the first person to kind of introduce you to anything fiber arts related, sewing or knitting or that kind of thing?
1: Oh, oh, for sure. Yeah. I, sp- I spent a summer with her learning how to paint. And I spent a summer with her learning how to sew mm-hmm. and I didn't take to it then. I think I was a little young, but she did later teach me how to knit. And, uh, she has been doing that all of her life. It was, she had six kids and she kind of took sewing as uh like her little piece of comfort with the craziness that comes with six kids. Mm-hmm. And so she's been very influential. I th- I would say she was the person that really put the spark in me because I looked up to her and I think that we're very similar,
0: you know. Yeah, yeah. And then um did you continue to just keep doing it? Like she taught you how to sew, you and and knit. Did she teach you how to knit as well?
1: sorry I'm mm-hmm. being a bit <laughs> yeah slung. she taught me how to knit I knit a blanket and then I was just oh she tried to teach me how to crochet but but I okay. is there I have this idea in my head that knitters don't like to crochet and crocheters don't like to knit I cannot <laughs> understand crochet for the life of me that's like yeah complicated but yeah I didn't really pick up sewing until um till I had my kids and and I was kind of searching mm-hmm. for a little something that could be just for me because I had kids so so close together and um yeah I just wanted something for me you know and and that was it mm. and mm. it's been
0: great it's been fun mm. yeah yeah um so you've continued to sort of do that stuff throughout be, becoming a mother and a bit when you were a kid and stuff but now that it's changed into um more of a business can you talk to me about your motivation like how you continue to stay motivated to work on it and change it and improve it that sort of thing i i can't lie sometimes
1: at midnight i'm thinking why am i doing this Mm -hmm. but honestly i i love because most of my orders come with on etsy come with some sort of conversation before and they'll ask me a question and and I'll respond. And so I'll get to know the people that order from me. And I always write a handwritten letter. And I always include something extra. And I think that's personal. And it's so important to me. And I've always been a letter writer. And I think people love that. So when I get feedback that people feel connected in that way, it makes me feel so um good. It just makes me mm-hmm. feel so warm and and people that order from me after they check out my shop and and how i set things up plastic free they're doing it because they value that which is so impressive to me because i didn't think people really did value that and it's it's awesome because it's just kind of branching out and influencing people in that way but i mean Mm -hmm. don't don't take it the wrong way we still have a lot of learning to do like we we sometimes make missteps But I think that's just, it's awesome that people are just interested in a plastic free type life. I think that's great.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I think that's a big thing for a lot of people doing something that can feel really um, isolating and hard and yeah, (laughs) sitting (laughs) at your sewing machine at midnight, like, why am I doing this? (laughs) Having those like interactions with people and those little reminders that like, they see you, you know. Oh, it makes they all like the difference. like what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. it's awesome. Yeah. I mean,
1: people are great. And I, I love my customers so much because they get it, you know. And when, you, mm. when somebody gets you or gets what you're doing, I think that's just wonderful.
0: Mm. So I might have missed the timeline of this, but did Urban Roots start after you had children?
1: Yeah, I, I just opened up okay. three months ago. and um, Oh, okay. Yeah. So um, I've been trying to keep up since then. Um, yeah, so my kids are two and a half and one and a half. You kind of lose track with the second one. <laughs> like, I don't know, uh, he's over one. <laughs> so yeah, so it started kind of recently, but, um, yeah. but it was mainly my husband it was kind of like influencing me to open up something. So it just mm. happened, you know, so. Mm.
0: Yeah, can I, I'm going to, I'm trying to work into the podcast more candid conversations about money.
1: Oh,
0: definitely. <laughs> which yeah, I can definitely say own. no to. <laughs> <laughs> but I am just, I just think it's really important and is often something that we neglect to talk about um, in our Instagram lives and our whatever social media filled lives of like the actual reality of doing it. Um, like when you started Urban Roots, was there um minimum order that you needed to do with your linen? Was that scary? Like can you kinda of talk me through what that looks like for you?
1: Oh sure, sure. Yeah. Actually it's mm. so important. I was just listening to a podcast, um, At Least Gets Crafty. And I was listening to I was listening to their their money talks and I and I thought it was so eye opening and I was just shaking my head the whole time, like, Okay, I'm glad I did that, I'm glad I did this, and I need to do this. So yeah, when I first started I was definitely I was cheating myself out of money. I was barely making anything. I was selling my mm-hmm. product for just pennies, like and then the fees, Etsy takes three percent, PayPal takes three and a half plus twenty five cents. And then you pay, you know, a thirty percent tax on all your profit. So yeah, I, I was like just hemorrhaging money. Um until yeah. I read I read something that says you need to bump up your prices and I was thinking to myself, Well, nobody's gonna buy my stuff. If I bump up my prices, Mm. but yeah, actually the exact, the exact opposite happened because it's odd that people, if you undervalue yourself, people will undervalue it too. So, so when they saw my prices increase, I got more sales people that, and, and it was, I had this one customer and she orders from me. She has everything I've ever made in her house. Literally, <laughs> if there's a linen apocalypse, we are going to her house in Michigan because she has everything, like all the good stuff. <laughs> um, and she's been with me from the beginning, and she stuck with me through all these price increases. And just she's been so awesome. She understands. But, yeah, but yeah you have to structure your retail. And this is something that I'm new at because I started wholesaling um, last month which was kind of probably too soon for me since I started uh, the business in June. Um, So wholesaling has really opened up my eyes because I'm making so much product for these businesses and I I have to make some money. I'm spending tons of hours at this. And so you have to bump up your prices to where uh, wholesale still makes you some money to make it profitable because you really Mm -hmm. are paying for the wholesale marketing that they're giving you. Like we tend to think as people who make things that people who sell our stuff are making easy money, but in fact that's not, I mean, that's not how I view it at all. So, mm. yeah, it was it was a huge learning curve about what percentage and what formula and is there a formula to price yeah. your items? Yeah. But I think I found a good balance. Yeah. And if I thought that uh, a price was too high, I would upgrade the finish on that item like i would make it nicer um i would mm-hmm. do my research and figure out how to make this a top-notch product whereas if before it was worth eighty dollars now it's worth 110. so um mm-hmm. yeah that's been huge for me really i i don't mind talking about money at all um mm. it's so important because when people buy something from you they're buying it because they're buying your skill too. They don't know how to do it. You know how to do it, and they didn't source it. You did. Um. So yeah, yeah. it's it's huge setting a good price. I think we're at a good balance right now, though. So.
0: Hmm. Mm. That's good. That's yeah. Thanks for talking about it because I think it's um, pricing is such an intimidating thing. I think for a lot of makers, particularly because a lot of us come from a place of maybe not having a ton of disposable income. So we kind of look at it and go, oh, I probably couldn't, I wouldn't pay this much for this thing because I don't necessarily have the disposable income to do it. But it is worth what, you know, what it is that you're asking for it because of the hours and the craftsmanship, that sort of thing.
1: Now, knitting, I mean, I don't know how anybody makes money
0: on knitting. I, I honestly don't. No, you you don't make money off knitting. <laughs> let's just be honest I I can't think of a single way to make money off of knitting like hand knitting an item and selling that unless you you know there's it's gotta
1: yeah it's gotta be a pattern or something Mm,
0: exactly it's you know you've got to be selling it to someone who's willing to pay four hundred dollars for that scarf because the materials alone are going to be expensive if you're using good you know high quality and then you know the um the craziness of how long it actually takes you to make the thing, you know? (laughs) Oh, I totally understand. Um,
1: yeah, I have this huge order for this shop in Canada and I think I had to do like 30 of these basic washcloths and, and it seems easy, but all my time is spent sewing. So when am I supposed to do this? Like in the middle of the night like 3 a.m. <laughs> when do knitters knit? <laughs> so I'm sneaking it in at the doctor's office. I'm like, I'm like trying to get it everywhere possible. But uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's time intensive. And, but it's such a labor of love. Like any knit item you get, you know, that was made with intention for you or, mm-hmm. you know, it's a, I love that about knitting. It's so awesome. Yeah. <laughs> hard. It's <Yeah>. awesome. <laughs> yeah. I'm just, an, I'm a novice knitter. <laughs> knitter. Yeah. That's for sure.
0: Can I ask you a question about being a mother and um, I guess it's kind of a question of like the finances of being a mother and or like being parents and like, you know, the traditional does one person go back to work? Do both people go quote unquote back to work? Like did Urban Roots fit into that? For you, that framework of, like, am I going to go, quote, unquote, back to work? Do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, very valid. Um, yeah. So my husband works now, currently. Ever since we had kids, I stopped working.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: it's not so much that we needed the money then. Um, so, yeah, I was just being a parent. And pretty much sure that's all I could handle at that moment is trying to be a good parent. It's harder than it looks. And if you're going to do it right, you got to be all in. Mm-hmm. Um And so our economy here is really taking a nosedive. And so, you know, with that comes taking jobs you didn't really want to take or uh, working nights. Like he's working now 6, 5 p.m. to 6 a.m. So 13 hour shifts and he works hard. And um, and so I was thinking, what can I do to contribute that doesn't involve putting my kids in daycare? And it didn't start that way, but it's been really comforting to know that if something would happen, we can fall back on something and still exist so yeah we um I was thinking how can i how can I still contribute to a family unit unit as a as a money maker, but also be there for my kids and not go back to teaching and this kind of started and has has been that lifeline because we were considering moving north and Mm -hmm. um so thinking about owning your business is probably the only thing that would allow me to not work in the summer when my kids would be off and that was important to me as a mom Mm -hmm. Um, and so yeah it's definitely been um been good for us and With the economy now, it's just our town has taken a big hit. And I don't know if you heard, um, recently Louisiana had this historic flooding where everything, yeah, it's been devastating. Like trillions of gallons of water fell from the sky in such a short amount of time. Like thousands and thousands and thousands of homes. I think um, Denham Springs, which is near New Orleans, where your sister, I think you said your sister lived at one point. I think ninety percent of the homes were destroyed, so it's it's taken it even further. So yeah, we are considering moving, and this business has been like a pivotal point in our decision. So yeah, yeah, it's it's been important.
0: Yeah, no, it's yeah. I appreciate you being willing to talk about it because it's just yeah. I think it's important, an important discussion point, and. It's really interesting to see how different people approach these things and how different people at different points in their lives approach these things, whether it's with or without children and that that kind of thing, you know?
1: Yeah, I always am interested, and I think that's cool about Instagram. People are always talking about how you can compare yourself to other people and in a negative way. And I do it all the time. I'm always mm-hmm. comparing myself to other people, but honestly, I don't think that it's all bad. I like to see what people are doing and how they're doing it. Yeah. And... And how can I do it better? How Mm. can I be better at what I'm doing? Because they're awesome. Like, how can I be better? And how can I do more? Mm. And, um, yeah, I think think those, I look at these businesses and I'm wondering, what's their story? Are they working late? Like, is this easy for them? Are they doing it because they love it? Are they doing it because they have to? Mm. And... I think that's important to know. And I think those businesses that do it because they love it, you can tell. Mm -hmm. I think that you can tell. Um, I know a lot of small businesses like that. And I just, I love following them because I see the care that they put into stuff.
0: Yeah. You know, like it's just awesome. Yeah. And I think when it's just you or a couple of people or small, it's like, You know, it it was easy for me to find you and then go. Oh, it's Sophie, and I like know who Sophie. I feel like I know who Sophie is a bit, and I see her children, and I see her little studio, and I see what she's about, and it's easy to kind of relate to that. I've always just felt like finding those people and then buying from them feels so much more rewarding than going into a shop and buying something. You know, you have no idea where it's made, or most of the time, you don't know where it's made or who's made it, and just kind of. I don't know, having that connection to being like, oh, I know who made this. I know whose hands like put this through a sewing machine. It's kind of it's just exciting.
1: Yeah, it's it's awesome. I mean, I'm not a big sharer. I don't think most of my life I've been into sharing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's hard for me to step into that social way. But I, I do make an effort. And uh, I think that it's been rewarding personally, not to, not business-wise. I mean, mm. Etsy generates its own business. I think that most of my business comes within Etsy. Um, But it's been so freeing to just share in a way that you want to without wondering how it's taken. And I think I can do that because I'm a small business. But I know that other big businesses don't have that freedom. Which, But I hope that I never become a big business. I don't know if that makes (laughs) sense. Like Etsy, Etsy partnered with some manufacturing processes. And you can find a manufacturer for your goods which seems really awesome. But how can they replicate what I'm doing in a small studio with knowing my suppliers in a way that's on that large scale? I'm not sure that it's entirely possible, but it is interesting. I mean, I know a lot of businesses um, are great about that, like Ace and Jig. I love following them on Instagram. I think that their their method is just so eye-opening in India, like their production and their sourcing and all that stuff. I love that they even have that and show it. I mean, I would never have known, you know,
0: Yeah, I think that's great. Yeah, definitely. No, I think it's interesting when you're a little guy and the expectation is that you're going to want to grow to become a big guy and the expectation and like the, the necessity in that is that you have to scale up, right? You'd have to yeah um, outsource your manufacturing in some capacity And the unfortunate side of that, some of the time is that there isn't necessarily as much care taken or, you know, you just don't, it's just, it's just easier to lose the transparency when that sort of thing happens. So I think, yeah, I'm currently having
1: a problem with wholesale currently Mm. because, because when people buy from me, I know who they are. I mean, I write them a letter and I can't do that when I'm wholesaling, but it is marketing and people will, you know, how do you? I I don't know, how do you come to terms with losing a personal touch when you have decided that's going to be part of your business, the personal side of it?
0: Yeah, I guess you might have to like, have wholesaling be only a specific percentage of your actual total, you know, total sales kind of thing, so that you're remaining doing the the bulk of the, of the, um, of the selling as just you so that you can continue to I don't know. Continue to give that touch, but that's just a thought. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> yes. Deliver your business wisdom to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, In... <laughs>
0: yeah. All the all that wisdom. No,
1: that got. <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> Anything you got, I'll take it.
0: <laughs> well, and speaking of that, I always like asking the question of, um, what sort of advice you might have for someone who's just starting out and maybe that's the business or maybe it's, they've just learned how to knit or sew or something. What would you say to them?
1: Oh yeah. um, uh, hmm. I'm not sure that this is this could be total crap advice i'm so but um when I started teaching myself how to sew and I was really interested in it, I went to the thrift stores and I would look at clothing and then I would change it so mm-hmm. so i so this dress had a sleeve. I took the sleeve off and I learned how to put a binding on it. That was big for me because I was so intimidated by all these people who had learned um and school and 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 i hear on your podcast all these people who are formally educated and it it is intimidating because Mm. you think that's the only way i'll know but it's not i mean it's so easy to learn if you're if you're going out there but also like this is probably the bad advice but i'm a big believer in buying quality and so when i bought a sewing machine i surely could have bought the cheaper one but i didn't and i bought the nice one the one that was built to last it was metal Mm. And I think that has made me want to sew so much more than if I was sewing on some plastic, you know, piece of crap, but (laughs) right. It's like, so it's (laughs) gratifying it. It works well and it'll last. And I think buying things to last, if you're going to knit or you're going to sew is important and, and just asking for things that you want. That's been so hard for me because I'm shy. Asking for what you want, and mm-hmm. if you don't get it, then move on. But if you do, it's because you asked. And that's the only thing way we get things is, is if we ask for them. So, yeah, if you want to learn how to do something, go for it and rip apart that dress or ask for what you want and just be bold. And, I mean, that's the only way people make things happen, right? You have to make it happen. Yeah.
0: Yeah, totally. No, it's such... Such important advice that is easy to um easy to say but harder to practice. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I think. Yeah, just but but really good. Yeah.
1: That's probably it.
0: My best yeah, advice. Yeah, cool. And just no, I like Yeah, that. just hustle, right? That's
1: <laughs> just hustle for it. <laughs> yeah. Like make it happen. There's yes. no other way to do it. Nobody's gonna do it for you. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: Yes, preach. <laughs> um, and then who do we need to be following in the fiber arts world?
1: Oh, gosh. I think you have all mentioned people that I love. And I think on your last podcast, I was hearing all these quilters like Mara Grace from Folk Fibers and Sugar House Workshop. I love those girls. And not only because I want to mm-hmm. move to Vermont and I just just like super envy her, her life. But, um, yeah, Sonia, I love 100 acts of sewing. I also like watching, I don't know if this is saying it right, but Jana Balak, how she turns clothes into bags. She lives in Europe. Mm. Um, and she does some original artwork. I love that. Um, but I also, you know, like I don't always only follow the anybody in fiber arts. I also love the, um, the environmental aspect of it. And so I love Baya Johnson. I think her thing is just zero waste home or trash. Just for tossers. She lives in New York. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Those really inspire me very much, but I like following these small time makers, you know, like I think we talked about uh, Adrian Shanti. I don't know if that's how you say her name. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love, I love her feed. It's so, uh, yeah, mystical and, it's, it's so, it's so refreshing. I love getting inspiration from people that are just starting out or, you know, figuring it all out like, like me. So yeah, definitely hers. I don't know how to say her screen name or I'm not sure how it is,
0: but, um, I always just figure it's Jai Jai Ma, but I don't know. Yeah. Jai <laughs> Jai <laughs>
1: Hi, hi, mom. I'm not sure. Um, yeah. People oh, like yeah, her yeah. and just other small time makers are really inspirational because they're doing it all and they're doing it in a way I've never done before. So I'm trying to test out what they're trying out, you know. I think that's the only reason I'm kinda stuck with knitting because I found you and and some other great knitters and I'm like, dang it, I'm gonna keep after it. This is gonna happen. Like I yeah, I'm gonna be one of those women that just knits. It's gonna be awesome.
0: It hasn't happened yet, but like one day it will. (laughs) Baby steps, you know? Baby steps. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. Awesome. Was there anything else you wanted to add? Mm,
1: I think that's it. I think that's Mm. all. It's been fun. Thank you for
0: having me so much. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here. That was really awesome. Covered a lot of ground, I feel like. You've just listened to episode 20 of the Close Knit Podcast. If you're liking what you're hearing, please feel free to review and rate us on iTunes and share us with your friends. If you're looking to sponsor the Close Knit Podcast, please get in touch. Um, We've had some really great sponsors so far, and I'd love to continue building up um, a sort of database of sponsors, of great people who are small businesses in the fiber arts who want to reach more people in our community. Uh, Send me an email at hello at closenit.com.au or message me on Instagram. Um, Again, you can send me an email at hello at closenit.com.au to get in touch. Um, Otherwise, have a great week. Till next time.